Welcome to the Pop-Up Pod, a new podcast that's similar to a pop-up shop or a pop-up restaurant in that it's sporadic. Sometimes it's here and sometimes it's not. Each 12-episode season dives deep into a single question, and our question for season one is this. Should I get married? It's a real question I'm asking myself these days. I'm your host, Nicole Antoinette, 36 years old, divorced, close friends with my former spouse, child-free by choice, self-employed, almost three years into a committed romantic relationship with a guy I love, and I'm genuinely unsure of how I feel about marriage. This uncertainty got me thinking, how do other people really feel about their own relationships? What's working? What's not working? Let's find out. 12 episodes, 12 different people, honest conversations about the joys and struggles of long-term romantic relationships. One of those 12 people who you'll get to meet in today's episode is Caroline Zook. Caroline, whose pronouns are she, her, is an artist, writer, and lover of big feelings. She's also one of my dear friends. Caroline currently co-owns a coaching membership program for intentional online business owners with her husband, Jason, called Wandering Aimfully, which we definitely dig into the pros and cons of working with your spouse. We talk about a lot of different things in this conversation. The evolution of a relationship when one person wants to get married and the other person doesn't, how to get your needs met, or more specifically, how to ask for what you need when you're not getting it from the other person without trying to change them or make them feel like they aren't enough. We go into that and so much more. But first, we kick it off with a story from Caroline about her husband's farting. (laughs) You'll see. Here we go. Right, we are good to go. Caroline, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited too. What a treat to get to interview a dear friend. It's I always feel like it's a really funny friendship thing to be like, well, I know some of this stuff, but I actually don't know a lot of the things. Like this is genuine curiosity, the things that I, I want to ask you about today. And I feel like it's it's like such a cool secret weapon for getting closer to your friends to be like, come on my podcast and tell me all your secrets. <laughs> it's so true. Everyone like in a friendship should just pretend they have a podcast and get to know all the deeper stuff. You know, I love, we both do love the deeper conversations. So I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. Great. So I just get to uh, take some hours of your time and have you tell me all about your marriage and relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait to see what comes out. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. So here's what I'm going to ask you first. Will you tell everyone about the fart noise thing that you do with Jason? (laughs) Jason being your husband for people who I would love to. Jason is my husband. We, you know, the basis of our, of our marriage is really just a shared love of bathroom humor, (laughs) but something that so for many years in the early stages of our relationship, we did, I specifically did not fart around Jason, you know, cause I did the thing that you do where society tells you you're a woman and you can't fart and like, it's bullshit. We know it now, but I was just like, that would be the worst, most embarrassing thing. And then there came a point in our relationship where I think I, I accidentally farted and it was just the most simultaneously, the most mortifying and yet most freeing moment of our relationship because I was like, the seal is broken. It's, it's on from here on out. And we still laugh about that um, moment because I, I tried to like cover it up with like opening a cabinet, which was like very creaky. <laughs> and so it was like creak, but it was also like a fart sound. And Jason was like, um... 
did you just, and I was like, uh, I think I did. <laughs> and then that was definitely a, uh, you know, a very important milestone in our relationship. But from that point on, we've really just embraced the farting, not so much so that we're just like walking around farting in front of each other, but it's funny. They're, it's just funny. So I can't help it. One of my favorite bits is like, Jason will fart and I will try to recreate the sound with <laughs> Because, you know, you just have such a repertoire. It's like, is it just a little like, you know, or is it like a like a massive or is it sometimes just a complete just air fart and you're just like, so (laughs) that is that is our game. Um, I realize that that might be totally out of bounds for some people's relationships. And I respect that for us. It, it is always a giggle fest and it keeps us laughing and it is like my favorite game. And there's nothing more satisfying to when we both agree that I absolutely nail it. Like I have nailed the exact cadence. I've nailed the tone. I have just like nailed the exact fart. And it's just like, it feels like we won the lottery. It's amazing. Oh my God. I'm really glad I asked you about this. This is great. <laughs> I, so for folks listening, um, something that you and I do, or I guess that I just started doing, you and Jason have a fantastic podcast together. It's one of my favorite shows to listen to. One of the only (laughs) regular shows that I listen to at this point. Um, And oftentimes I will listen to it and then send you voice notes of like things that I want to comment on because I'm like, wait, I want to be in the conversation too with the two of you. So it's like your little like addendum podcast. And I don't remember what it was on the show that you were talking about, but it was definitely about farting. Like this is like a regular topic, not of conversation, but that gets mentioned. And I remember that you and I sent some voice notes back and forth about just like the like you said the bullshit the horror of of being socialized as someone who's like not allowed to fart ever and what that experience is as like a young girl as a woman what do you do when you like have to poop at someone's apartment for the first time right like it was just we went back and forth and you 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 use the term fart swallowing were you please explain (laughs) that for everyone you used that I thought you did. I think that was really yours. feel like you did. Okay. Well, one of us definitely came up with this term and feel free listener to use this in your life. But a, a fart swallow is a, t- is a very specific term described that describes someone who has been socialized to not have bodily functions. And everyone knows that feeling of when you have to fart, but you're like, that would be the worst thing possible for me to fart right now. So you just like somehow it gets like reabsorbed into your body and you feel so (laughs) uncomfortable and you have to just like keep it in and it's a fart swallow. And like, God, after years of fart swallowing, it just feels nice to be in a relationship where, you know, it's, I don't have to swallow every fart. And it's so funny that you bring this up because Jason and I had a conversation the other day where he was like, well, I'm just gassier than you are. And I was like, no, you're not. Like, first of all, no, you're not. Don't stop trying to wear this like a badge of honor and like pretend that you just have more bodily functions. I'm a full human being that has a body that works the same as yours. It's just that I have cultivated the skill of fart swallowing over many years because God forbid I have a bodily function as a human being. And so I think it's very funny that there are just probably a lot of men running around thinking that women just aren't as gassy. And it's like, oh no, sir. We are, but we have not been able to let out those farts for many years. <laughs> <laughs> right. These are these are generations and centuries of yes. swallowed farts. Like, yes. <laughs> wonder why we're so stressed out all the time because our stomachs are distended <laughs> with swallowed farts of our ancestors. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like, fuck the patriarchy, unswallow your farts. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, so uh, takeaway for everyone who's listening, if you listen no further, fuck the patriarchy, unswallow your farts. I'm making it. t-shirts. I'm making oh my t-shirts. God. I mean, listen, I will, I will buy, make a tank top and I will buy it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, So, as you just mentioned, you are married to someone named Jason. I was going to ask you to introduce yourself a little bit in regard to what I'm calling a relationship bio. So think of this as less what do you do and more of who and how do you love. So what would you like to share as your relationship bio introduction other than permission to fart? I love that question. Um, I'm Caroline. Zook, married to Jason Zook. And in my relationship, I would say I am definitely the um, the feeler of the relationship. I am definitely the one that brings the emotional conversations to the table, who loves to talk about feelings. For those of you who are into the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 4. I'm an artist. So I, I sort of bring all of those like feelings things. My husband, Jason, is an Enneagram 8. He is a challenger. He is the opposite of conventional. He questions everything. He is a very honest person, a very direct person. And I will say that as it relates to our relationship, even though I'm much more of the feeler, he has really like feelings do not come naturally to him, but that is something that has really evolved over the course of our relationship. We've been together for 11 years. We've been together, married for four. And so he's really evolved in the feelings department. So, you know, there was a time where I would say I was the, I'm the feeler and he's like the more practical one, but I think we're sort of merging as the years go on and yeah, we work together. So I would say it's very much a partnership that, um, is built on, a foundation of really enjoying each other, being a well-balanced partnership. And, you know, we've been working together for like eight years now. So I love it. Yeah. That's us. I am interested in what kind of like you described yourself as, right, maybe more of the feeler and he was more Mm -hmm. of the doer, or at least that was how it was at the beginning. I'm curious about what do you think it took to maybe break out of those really defined roles? And or would you say that either of you have felt resentment about, okay, well, like, I guess I have to be the one who does all the feelings stuff or that type of thing. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And and actually, I love that question because this is the topic that requires the most communication from both of us. And it's the topic that we come back to all the time because we are so different I think naturally in this regard. And if we don't check in often about it, as far as the resentment goes, I could see how that would very easily create a fissure in our relationship. So we kind of have an awareness of that and we check in a lot about it. You know, there's a very fine line between something being a, like a strength and a skill that you have and that you bring to a partnership, but then also relying too heavily on it and then it creating a resentment. So it's, it's this weird thing where it's like, I don't, you know, I am the feeler. I am the one who is more emotionally attuned and I bring that to the table in our relationship. And I think it keeps our relationship very healthy and that's a tremendous strength. And Jason brings this practical aspect where he is so good at supporting me through, you know, the emotional, uh, journeys that I go through. And he is so good at kind of keeping the the trains on time, so to speak, in our relationship. However, 
it becomes very easy to then fall back on those roles, to fall back on those strengths. And so we have to check in a lot of times and say, hey, like, I mean, we do it literally on like a weekly basis. I'm like, hey, I really appreciate so much how you've been supporting me lately in picking up the slack because I'm super sensitive and I'm having to recharge my batteries and all this. And you've just been like really stepping up to the plate. But I just want to check in and make sure that that is not becoming a source of resentment or um, that you're not overdoing it. Like I really have to check in with him about that and then we'll have a conversation about it. And we've been doing that for years and we will continue Mm -hmm. to do it probably through our entire relationship because those are very, I think, unmutable parts of our personalities. And then to answer the first part of your question about how did we get sort of through that evolution of a meeting a little bit more in the middle in terms of that spectrum. Because at the beginning of our relationship, truly, when I tell you, I was at the end of like, I have the most emotional needs and which is not a bad thing I'm saying, but I just, I really had a a lot of emotional needs. And then him being at the other end of the spectrum of like, I'm not, I have zero emotional needs and I don't need to, like, I'm sort of a robot. Like we were really at the opposite ends of the spectrum and it has taken just a tremendous amount of communication first and foremost, but also a commitment on both of our parts to do the internal work separately in order to understand why we are that way and to come to start speaking a language that we both could understand when it comes to emotions and feelings. Have you ever worked with a therapist together about it? You know, we've never done therapy together, although we talk, we check in about it probably once a year, we sort of are like, if there's a, if there's a topic of discussion that we come back to time and time again, we sort of check in and we're like, all right, is it time to really bring in a third party on this? Because we just seem to be at a stalemate on this like one issue, whatever that might be. But something that I have seen as a tremendous benefit of personal therapy, again, this, this goes back to the conversation about strengths, right? So I, my strength is that I am willing to wade into uncomfortable conversations or self-development work. So I've been doing therapy for many, many years and I have an amazing therapist. And the beautiful part about doing therapy solo is that a lot of, we, we share one car. So a lot of times Jason, back back when we were doing in-person therapy, he would drop me off at my therapy sessions. I would come out and we would usually go out to lunch after and I would tell him, here's what we worked through. Here's Here are my you know enlightening moments from it. And so it's almost like I was taking him along on my personal journey, but it was teaching him things about himself at the same time. And so much of the therapy work that I have done has trickled over into things that I've seen him evolve into, which is beautiful. That's very, very relatable for me and my partnership, Mm -hmm. too, that it's Mm – and I think about not just therapy, but any sort of personal growth type work. I'm just really oriented that way to seek that out. I find that really interesting. And so things that I'm reading or a podcast that I'm listening to or, you know, or something like therapy or coaching, you know, all of which I have um, used throughout the years, that to be able to then bring that to him and say, hey, I heard about this or I learned about this. What do you think about this? And, you know, as I think as long as I'm willing to take the lead on it and not expect him to take, right? Like not expect him to be the way that I am. Um, It's, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about 
in regard to this specifically, that things don't have to be equal in order to be fair. It's not like we each have to bring up, you know, three and a half growth-related conversations per month in order for it to feel equitable. There's plenty of things that he does more naturally that I don't, that as long as, you know, I feel like he's willing to meet me in these conversations, uh, that feels satisfying to me. Absolutely. And two things there that I want to touch on are that going back to the resentment conversation, that's also a place where I really have to check in because if I am always bringing that to the table, you know, there have been times where I have been honest with him and been like, I really feel like I'm carrying the emotional weight here. And I, I, I'm feeling myself get a little bit exhausted of being the one all the time. And one thing I have to say about Jason, and I don't know how I got so lucky to like pick him, but he, he takes feedback really well and he very, he's very like action oriented. So when I bring things up to him and I'll say, Hey, I'm noticing this, he really takes it and tries to apply it. And I can see the effort in the way that he approaches conversations going forward. So if, if I do that same check-in where you know, I check in with him about kind of the doing, I check in with myself about the emotional load. And if I'm honest about the fact that I do feel like I'm carrying too much of it, he will make more of an effort to, you know, take the lead in some of those things or have the hard conversations. He will do that. Um, and I forgot the second part of what I was going to bring up, but that's okay. Well, maybe it'll come back. Maybe it won't. Um, tell me why you decided to get married. Oh, that's a, that's a lot, a lot of questions in there. (laughs) (laughs) Why we decided to get married. It's interesting because why we decided to get married is a different answer than like why we decided to be together. Okay. I want both. Give me both. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think sometimes they're the same question for maybe a lot of people. And for us, it was very different. So a couple, I would say probably two or three years into our relationship together, it became clear that this was my person. This was going to be my committed partnership. And I thought that that meant this will be the person I marry. And it became very clear that Jason didn't want to get married. And this was something that we had to have many, many conversations about over many, many years. So we got married seven years into our relationship. And why we finally made that decision is just so many different factors leading up to that over the course of seven years. Like it's not just one thing. So the most urgent catalyst was actually pretty practical, I think I don't we can't even remember. I asked him this before we got on and we we both can't remember the there was some type of like paperwork catalyst to getting married. Because I I won't get into it but he had done a lot of changing of his last name over the course of many years. So he finally had landed on this last name of his that that I had actually kind of chosen with him. It's his great-grandfather's last name. So he had his mom got divorced many times. He had these last names that he wasn't really connected to. He sold his last name a couple of times, which again is a story for a different day. So finally he was choosing this last name that he was going to carry forward for the rest of his life. And it was interesting to me that he would check in with me about that. Like, Hey, do you think this last name, it's my great grandfather's, do you like it? And I thought that was very interesting because up until that point, we were sort of under the we had reached this conclusion that we just weren't going to get married and that was going to be fine. And I was like, well, why would he be asking me about this last name if we weren't going to get married? But okay. And so I sort of got to choose Zook as this last name from his great-grandfather. And some there's something there we both can't remember about wanting to do paperwork or what, maybe it was insurance or something. And 
we I'll never forget we were on the plane we were on a plane coming back from Florida where both of our families live for Christmas. And so it was around New Year's and we were flying and we were talking about this paperwork thing and it sort of came out of his mouth where it, 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 he was like, "Well, maybe maybe we should just like go ahead and change your name too." And I was like, "Okay, so okay." And so then I'm like, "Is did he just sort of suggest what I think he suggested?" And then we get we land and we're waiting in the line for the Uber to go ride home from the airport. And he turns to me and he's like, "Yeah, I think we should just go ahead and get married and then we can change your last name." And I was like, "Okay." Mhm. And I was like, "Wait, did you just propose to me in the line for an Uber?" <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, Ooh, was that the wrong way to do that? Oh my God. <laughs> and we, and I sort of just was quiet the whole way home, not even like uh, shocked or anything, but just sort of quietly contemplating. Like, and this is the thing you have to understand about Jason is, and our relationship in general, it's very much like years of conversating. And then it's like a decision is made. That is how he operates. I know, I know it now. And so it's sort of like, wait, wait, wait. And then, go. Like that's just how decision-making is. And so I wasn't that surprised, but I was sort of, it took me the entire ride home to process that, okay, now we are getting married and things started to move forward from there, which we can talk about. We, we opted to elope. We could talk about all of that, but the answer to why we finally got married was just, we were both ready to make that further commitment. And yeah, I don't know the answer other than we just were excited. We knew for sure that we wanted to be together and we kind of got married for a super practical reason. <laughs> oh Engagement in line for the Uber. That's a fantastic story. I'm very glad I right? know about you. Um, so <laughs> you mentioned a couple years in that you had thought, okay, this is the person that I'm going to marry. And then finding out through conversations that he wasn't interested in marriage. How did that feel for you? Yeah, really hard at first, really hard to understand at first. So also something to note going into our relationship, I was, when we met, I was 21 years old. Jason was 27 years old and he's very much a rule breaker. I'm very much, well, used to be very much a rule follower. So at the beginning of our relationship, again, talking about the spectrum, I'm really emotional. He's really not. These are over generalizations, but it gives you an idea of where we're oriented and where we're coming from. So in the early days, like I definitely had this more traditional idea about that, that most of us do of, I'm going to be in this relationship. It's going to lead to an engagement. It's going to lead to a wedding. It's going to lead to a marriage like this, you know, the steps, so to speak, Jason being who he is, never wants to do anything the traditional way. He questions everything that society feeds us. He, he very much does not do well with the answer of this is the way it's always been done. So this is the way it should be done. Do does not like that at all. But when early on it became clear to me that he was saying, you know, I don't think I ever want to be married. That was really hard. I I'll also say it was really hard because so I have very different feelings about divorce now sitting as a 33 year old woman than I do as that I did as a 21 year old woman. I came from a family uh, whose parents did get divorced. My parents got divorced when I was like nine months old. My mom remarried when I was three. 
but there was a lot, you know, divorce carries this different weight because of the childhood that I had. Now, me as the 33-year-old woman, I believe divorce can be a beautiful, wonderful thing and uh, a very necessary thing for a lot of people. But as a 21-year-old, I had this idea of what that meant, and I had decided I wanted to avoid that. And so marriage held this like very weighty thing for me of, it was a little bit like a chip on my shoulder of like, I'm going to do it differently than my parents did it kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so marriage was my way of rewriting my childhood in a way, I think. So it carried all this stuff. And then for Jason, it's very interesting because he came from a very similar background with divorce. However, he took that. And instead of saying like, oh, I want to do it differently. And so I really care about marriage. He was just sort of like, oh, I just don't ever want to get married because I, you know, and it's very indicative of our personalities. I'm like, let me just like dive into it and figure it out and do it differently and evolve. And he was just like, let me avoid, let me just not even touch it. Let me just completely write my own rules around it. And so early on in our relationship, it, it, it was a constant source of friction. It was we, we found ourselves running in these circles where he would say, well, it just doesn't matter to me. Like, why does it matter? Can't we just be together? And then I would sort of counter with, well, if it doesn't matter, then why don't we just do it? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so I, I don't know if anyone listening can relate to that, that merry-go-round that you do constantly, but it was very much this stalemate. And it wasn't until you know, we did that for a couple of years where we just kind of would find ourselves in this like same argument over and over again about trying to get the other person to see our way. And it wasn't until I think I started to go, okay, this isn't working, trying to get him to my point of view. Why don't I really invest some time in trying to see it from his point of view? Let me just have, let me approach it with curiosity. Let me ask myself, well, what would it look like if we were just together and didn't get married? And just that little tiny bit of curiosity of trying to, instead of like trying to drag him over to my side, it was sort of like, let me just like tiptoe over to his side for a second and just see how it feels and what it would be like. And the funny part is, and I think this happens a lot in life, the moment that I sort of loosened the reins and said, you know, I'm just not going to fight this battle anymore. I'm going to approach it with more curiosity. We're not in any rush. We can have conversations around this. If this is my truly my person, we've got our entire lives to have this fight. <laughs> so I just sort of like took my foot off the gas a little bit. And in that curiosity, I found all of these new possibilities for what a commitment could look like. And the irony is that through years of loosening those reins and having those conversations from a much more open, curious place, of course, he then comes around and wants to get married for these practical reasons, which I'm not saying like, you know, play games or, or, or try to somehow manipulate the situation. But I do find that there's a tremendous amount of irony in the moment you stop trying to force it is when like, if you can be the one to add a little bit of curiosity and openness, your partner might just meet you with that level of curiosity and openness too. And you might arrive at the place ultimately that you want to be anyway. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's such good advice. Do you feel for you personally that you would have had, I don't even know if fulfillment is the right word, but if you hadn't gotten married, do you think that that would have been fulfilling for you? Or do you think you would have held on to this little like, oh man, I wish, or I'm still like kind of trying to convince him sometimes? Like, do you think that you would have been totally okay with it? 
Yeah, that's a, such a, a hard and interesting question because my first instinct when you said that was I totally, absolutely could have found fulfillment because I had really made peace with it, honestly. By the time that he <laughs> proposed in the overline, I really had made peace with this idea of we're going to be in a long-term committed partnership without the label or the legal you know, documents of marriage. And I had really come to be at peace with that. So, so my first instinct is to say, yes, I totally could have found fulfillment. However, I will say being on the inside of it, I don't know. There is this, it's just hard for me to say because I do find such deep satisfaction in knowing, I don't know, in, in saying that Jason is my husband, there is something, and maybe it's just language, right? Like it could just be the label, in which case you don't need a piece of paper in order to decide what your label is. So I really don't know the answer to that question, but I will say regardless of how, which side of that decision we had come down on, I think I would have found equal satisfaction because I found the person that leaves me feeling satisfied in a relationship, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So you've said, you've used that phrase a couple times, my person. I'm Mm -hmm. interested how you feel and maybe how you feel about that now is different from, you know, when you two met when you were 21, but how you feel about the idea of finding the one, right, in quotes, or the phrase, like, when you know, you know. Yes. I'm so glad you asked this question because this was something that really fucked with my head when we first got together. We had a really weird and tumultuous beginning to our relationship. So for some backstory, some juicy tea, if you want. When we met, it was 2010. I was uh, just graduating college and I was in a, we were both in relationships, other relationships. And we had met through this kind of serendipity, this coincidence where I had, I, I was the president of our advertising club in college. I got him to be a speaker because he had this marketing, interesting marketing job at the time. So we met through that. And there was just this instant like humor and chemistry between us. And I thought to myself, oh, this is a really cool guy. Like we really get along. We'll be friends. Maybe he can help kind of, you know, he, he's very interesting. He's very creative. I was very much in this place at the time of figuring out what I wanted my career to be after college. So I was really finding reasons to continue to talk to him about where my career could go after. Now, it became very clear within about a month of us being friends that it was tiptoeing into territory that felt like emotional cheating to me. It felt like, oh, this is not just like a friend. This is like I have, I'm developing feelings for this person. And that made me uncomfortable because it became clear that the relationship I was in at the time was not going to be the relationship, which... I thought it was at the time. And so I sort of came to Jason and I said, I I broke up with my boyfriend. The long and short of it is I broke up with my current boyfriend. And I said, (laughs) this is a lot to throw at a person. He had been dating someone for four years. I said, hey, uh, I don't expect anything from you, but I think there's something between us. It's made me see that I what is out there. And I just know that the relationship I'm in currently doesn't have that spark. And I now know that I want to go find that spark. So whether it's with you or someone else, like, I just want you to know I broke up with my boyfriend and this is the decision I've made. Not knowing that he would, you know, what he would do with that. And he was kind of like, 
thank you for letting me know. And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> I was like, oh, I talked a big game about being fine about either way, but damn it. Um, and then the day after, or maybe it was the same day, he was like, yeah, I, I feel the same way. And I'm, I'm going to end things with my current girlfriend as well. And we were like, what the hell are we doing? So to make, make things even more complicated, I had accepted a job in the city as, as my, my college boyfriend, so my first job at a college was in this city of the guy that I just broke up with. And so Jason and I decided to date for six months long distance, like right away. It was, it was a very crazy, mixed up, wild time um, for me personally. And everyone in my life thought I was absolutely off my rocker. But I had this un- indescribable feeling that the chemistry that I had with Jason was something that doesn't come around very often. And I just trusted my intuition on that. Now I make, I make this big decision. I blow up my life to date this guy who's, you know, six years older than me and long distance. And we're both, it's all, all, all very stable things to start a relationship off of breaking up with other people. And then I started to feel, I had this like knowing that, that this relationship was potentially something that could be long lasting. But I remember this voice in my head saying, when you know, you know. So it's like my intuition, my gut was telling me, I like this person is my person, but everything from society and like everything I'd heard was when people say that, right? They say, when you know, you've met the one, you just know. And I was like, but I don't know. (laughs) I was like, actually, we're fighting a lot about the fact that I have these emotional needs that he can't seem to meet. And we don't speak the same language. And there's all these things in our relationship that need work. And there's this like little core part of chemistry and commitment and desire that is so real and so unlike anything I've ever experienced but everything else seems like it's super shaky and cloudy. And so I almost talked myself out of it. I was like, I was like, oh, this can't be it because it's not perfect, (laughs) you know? And I do think we put this uh, expectation on relationships, especially for young people who maybe at my age at 21 think they're supposed, they're, they're in, if they're in that stage where they're in search of their partner and actively searching for their partner, um, which you don't have to be in your early 20s to be doing that. But there's this pressure of like, oh, if it isn't perfectly right in every aspect, keep looking because you'll you'll find it, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've thought about this a lot. I mean, obviously, I've been divorced, right? So there's like another layer of that mm-hmm. for me. But I really don't believe in this idea that there's like one person for everyone or that there's right. like the one. I think there's pl- – if, if you are choosing partnership, I think there's plenty of people that each person could be happy with. It's like just yes. having enough of the – like I think about two different people meeting in the middle and, and there's like a Venn diagram, right? That it's yeah. – they don't have to have all of the things, but you have to have enough overlap that it like meets the needs that you want that relationship to meet. And then – I don't know. It's. I feel like this, sometimes this type of stuff is hard to talk about because there obviously is an X factor. There is right. some like unexplained or like uh, unexplainable aspects to it. But yeah, I don't know. I just don't think that that idea that there's like the one, something about that also, like you said, it feels too pressury. And it also makes me kind of sad because what, like out of the billions of people in the world, if you don't meet your one, then you're like destined not to be happy. Like that's way totally. too dramatic. 
Totally. Yeah. I've never subscribed to the belief of the one. So I think even when people would tell me that I was like, oh, like a one, (laughs) like my one, you know, Mm -hmm. or two or three, like who cares? But I think you're absolutely right. I, I think it's too much pressure. I think, and it, it kind of goes back to that idea I was talking about of if you know, you know, which is it's, it presupposes that you're going to link up with someone and you're going to fit like two magical puzzle pieces when really it almost never happens that way. It's like, there's parts of you that have this, like you were describing like a Venn diagram. There's parts of you that are somehow attracted like a magnet, but you got all these other jaggedy edges around that do not fit like puzzle pieces. And you have to decide, you have to make an active choice that both of you feel that the magnet part is strong enough and and valuable enough to work around the other jaggedy edges and to figure out, are they moldable? Are they not moldable? Could they be molded into puzzle pieces that could fit together? And I think that active choice part of it is so much a part of why Jason and I have, you know, our relationship has lasted this long is we figured out fairly early on that even though all those other bits didn't necessarily fit like perfect puzzle pieces, there was such a willingness and a commitment to mold and shape things in such a way that we could build a beautiful life together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really well said. I So my partner and I met hiking the PCT, the Pacific Crest Trail. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just giving like a little bit of backstory for for people listening. So one of the things that's part of long distance trail culture, if folks don't know, is that oftentimes you will get a trail name, right? It's like either something silly you do or something that happens where other hikers like give you a trail name that you can either take or not take. And it's kind of like your nickname, your alter ego. Like there's plenty of people that I don't know their real names. I only know their trail names that I've met over the years. Um, so his, his real name is Tom, my partner. His his trail name is Gentleman or Gent for short. And because we met on trail, like we know each other by our trail names. And so we off trail still call each other by our trail names. So Love it. all of that to say, Gent, right? Um, he's eight years younger than me. And when we started dating, it was a real reckoning moment for me of all of the things, not all of the things, but a lot of the things that I had thought that I wanted in a partner. And this was very soon after I got divorced. So there was also for me that emotional space of, is it even too soon to be in a new relationship, right? There's like that whole thing, which it sounds like you also had that as well. But if if I would have set out to meet someone on purpose. You know, I've never done the dating app thing, um, just never really worked out that way. But if I would have, the thought of, you know, what would I have put my age brackets on? Or what are the like things, like what I thought that I was looking for and like things that I had chosen that were really consistent in all previous partners or in mostly all previous partners were so different from who like this man in front of me was. And I was like, it's so interesting that I would have never sought him out or like we would have never met through those channels because I would have never thought that I was going to be with someone who was eight years younger. And there were just a couple of other things too that didn't match the picture in my mind of what I thought, you know, if we're going to use the like the one or my person or that type of stuff that I wouldn't have thought and would actually have thought that the opposite would have been true. And -hmm. then to find, at least for this phase of my life, that this is such an absolutely incredible fit was really eye-opening for me and helped me to just like loosen control in other areas of my life too of like, it's fine to want stuff and to be really clear, but it's cute that I think that I know exactly what's best for me and I don't (laughs) always, right? And so there was like something in that that was a very good lesson for me. 
Oh, so true. I I think it's very just speaking to what you said funny as well that the person that I was with right before I met Jason and this is no disrespect to him or anything about him. He's a wonderful person, but the life that I would have had gone to, had I gone down that path is very different than the life I have now. Um, yeah. you know, that, that was a path that would have been extremely traditional. It would have been extremely predictable. And those are wonderful things for certain, you know, people who want to choose that the irony. And, and also I, I shared with you, I was very much a rule follower. So it made sense to me. Right. And there was this beautiful backstory. His, um, his mom and my dad had gone to law school together. So there was this like family connection, this whole mythology I'd built up in my head about us ending up together. And yet here comes this curveball who is totally irreverent, non-traditionalist, uh, has a job that is just the weirdest thing I had ever heard, you know, six years older, like all these things that I had never thought for myself that were a little scary because it was choosing a path of, of a lot of uncertainty, but the life that I have now and the person that I have grown into and the authenticity that I get to bring to everything that I do, you know, I, I oftentimes will say like the, the luckiest thing that ever happened to me was meeting to Jason. I try not to put that much credit in his column because it, you know, I don't want to get his ego too big, but truly like he changed my life. He changed the direction of my life. And I get to be this person because I happened to meet this partner and be open to this partnership that was unlike anything I had ever predicted for myself. Mm-hmm. Why did you guys choose to elope? Well, that's an easier question because we both don't really hated the idea of having a wedding. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's my, my former spouse and I love too for the same thing. Like when I actually thought about everything that that entailed. Yeah. Or, and maybe, maybe I wasn't giving it enough credit. I do, I know people who have had such cool weddings that really do represent like them as a couple and their interests and their family. There's just what I thought a wedding had to be, the whole thing to me just sounded so stressful and so expensive and I did not want to do it. Yeah. I, same. And for me, it actually was a lot about knowing myself and knowing, you know, a huge area of growth for me has been, I'm, I'm someone who deals with anxiety and I, I can very much get in my head about feeling responsible for other people's experiences of things. And that's something that I have to work on is reminding myself I'm not responsible for how other people experience the world. Um, But a wedding sounded like the absolute worst case scenario for someone who tries to manage other people's experiences. (laughs) Because I was like, I can imagine this day where even if we managed to plan it where it was beautiful and like perfectly represented us, knowing myself and knowing that all I would be doing that day is thinking like, is my mom having a good time? Are my mom and my dad getting along? Are J- are they talking enough to Jason? You know what I mean? Like the managing of mm-hmm. that where, where it would be. And what I wanted was to focus on our marriage. What I wanted was to focus on our partnership and the, the choice that we were making. And, you know, um, our theme for our elopement was practical love. That was like our mantra. And I think going back to the conversation I had about like the Uber and the changing of the name and everything. And so, but it became this beautiful metaphor for just the way that we view our relationship, which is unique to the way that oftentimes relationships are portrayed as this, 
you know, romantic over the top thing. And I think that's beautiful. And I think, um, if, if that is the way that your relationship looks, then that's wonderful. But for us, it was this, there, there is beauty and romance in the everyday mundane. There's beauty and romance in the fact that we got married on a Tuesday. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I love mm-hmm. that um, because that's how we live our lives. And I guess it goes back to your ultimate question, which is, would we feel satisfied? And I think, I think I, I now can confidently say <laughs> 20 minutes later, yeah, I would because it, our lives didn't change that much, you know? Yeah. Were your families, either of your families or both of your families, disappointed with your choice not to have a more traditional wedding? You know, if they were, they didn't show it, which I really appreciate. Luckily, (laughs) the beauty of waiting for seven years uh, after being together to get married is I think they honestly thought we never would get married. So it was a genuine shock to them that we were opting to get married. So I think they had sort of already made peace with the grief of, I'm not going to go to this wedding. (laughs) And so we told them our idea for it. I do think what softened the blow a little bit is that we did decide. So we got married in March of 2017 in just, uh, uh, our own ceremony overlooking these cliffs in San Diego. And, you know, we just got dressed up. We had a photographer, a videographer, and that was it. And then we drank tequila and ate donuts and it was great. We did like exchange vows, I think, and rings. That was like the most traditional thing we did. But about, uh, I can't remember how long after that, maybe a few weeks, we planned a family trip with Jason's family to Asheville, North Carolina. So we all met there and like rented a house. And then my mom, stepdad and dad all drove up from Florida. And so we rented a nice kind of, uh, private room at a restaurant and we had a big dinner with both families. Mm -hmm. And that I think helped soften the blow because at least our parents had some type of ritual, that could make them feel like we marked the occasion. It was special for them, you know? Yeah, we, we did exactly the same thing um, oh, really? with, with both of our parents, yeah, and, you know, showed them our wedding video, that kind of thing. Yeah, but but I mm-hmm. will say, uh, like, my parents, particularly my mom, was, was and always is incredibly supportive, but was definitely disappointed. Like, she respected yeah. that that was the choice that I was making, but uh, she wished that I would have made a different choice, you know? Um, yep, yep. Which is, which is, think- which is fair. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, life, that is the challenge of life, at least in my aspect, is just a constant choice between honoring yourself and your wishes, knowing it will disappoint your parents and choosing that anyway. <laughs> Woof. That, I feel like that's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So you mentioned that a couple times over the years you had what you called stalemate issues. It sounds like marriage was one of them. What about the decision whether or not to have kids? Was that a stalemate or has that or is that a stalemate issue? It's so interesting because kids has unfolded I would say in some ways very similarly to the marriage conversation in terms of what I described to you of the years of conversations and then all of a sudden, yes. And so I made it really clear early on that kids was something that I knew I wanted. But I will say that I I did at least, what I learned from the marriage conversation was that I at least had to entertain and approach that decision with the same openness and curiosity that I did the marriage conversation. So even though I knew I wanted kids, I allowed myself to try on the shoes of what if I decided that we never would have kids. I allowed myself that space to like live out that 
reality to see how it felt so that I could really suss out, is this something that I think I'm supposed to do or is this something that I really want? And I gave myself plenty of time to do that. And we, and I sort of checked in with Jason a lot along the way. And I think that was crucial actually, because he was sort of ambivalent. He was like, I could be perfectly happy not having kids. Um, but if this is something that you want, I will. But he, he was very resistant to, uh, right now. (laughs) Like it was like sometime in the future kind of thing. But I think by checking in with him every step along the way and saying, Hey, just so you know, like I, I do think about what it would be like if we chose not to. And I want you to know that I'm actively pursuing that line of thought so that you know I'm not just imposing this upon you because I think it's something that we should do. Mm-hmm. And I think he really appreciated that. Ultimately, I came to the conclusion that it is something that I very deeply want and I can feel that desire in a deep, deep place. However, uh, I we've been talking about it for, I mean – really talking about it for like five years. And it's been in this conversation where it's, you know, sometimes the conversation has ended in tears, not necessarily because I was ready, which I I wasn't, but he was, he was using language and making things very clear that like he very much wasn't ready. And it would always end in this conversation where I felt like is this something that you actually want? You know, it it, it never felt like he was coming to the table with that type of openness. But I will say that because we had those conversations earlier rather than later, it has given us years to kind of inch towards this place where now the way that he talks about it is very different. You know, it's less of a um, oh, one day and more of a okay, like when we when we decide to do this, which I think will probably be in the next two years or so. Um, but yeah, we just, we give lots of time and lots of space for these types of decisions because I know that the way that it happens is we got to talk about it for years. And then one day he's going to be like, all right, you're ready to go. Let's put a bun in the oven. I'm going to be like, excuse me, excuse me. You're going to be in line for an Uber and he's going to be like, take your pants off, Carolyn. Let's go. (laughs) It's so true. Would not put it past him. Oh my God. So, I mean, other than potentially having years of conversations, is there anything else that you want to speak to about this idea of figuring out your own timeline for these kinds of decisions and not letting yourself be rushed by forces outside of your relationship? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing is you constantly, at least I constantly had to check in with myself, just like I described with the kids thing and and ask myself, is this something that I'm feeling moved to do because I think it's what I should do? Or is it something that I really want? So especially less with the marriage thing, because I had sort of already come to terms with like, my friends are getting married. That's not, they were getting married and having weddings. And that wasn't something, the wedding wasn't something I really wanted anyway. So I didn't feel particularly pressured by that aspect of it. But I will say now that my friends are having kids and it is something that I deeply want, it, it, it can start to feel sometimes like that time element to things, that pressure element to things is building up a little bit. Um, and, and it just takes a mindfulness. It just takes a, a remembering that every relationship and every life is on its own time frame and its own journey. You know, we're not in these, these racing lanes next to one another, trying to reach these same milestones at the same rate. We're just not. And all I can say is that it's a constant, uh, you know, letting my mind wander and, and feel that pressure because it's inevitable. And then having the mindfulness to pull it back and remind myself, this is why this is our relationship. The most important thing to me is that my mental health is in a place where 
it's as strong as possible in order to bring new life into the world, that our financial position is as strong as possible to bring, you know, like people say you're never ready. And, and I believe that you can never really be ready, but you can be, you could be readier. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can be in a place where you feel comfortable to, to wade into the unknown. And, um, so yeah, it's just a constant recalibration and a mindfulness and reminding myself of why we chose the pace that we chose. Yeah, this idea and this reminder that we don't, whether it's with our relationships or our careers or anything, we don't have to be on other people's timeline. Like just because someone else is doing something in a certain time frame or in a certain way or in a certain order, it's just like it's such a tender human thing, at least that's how it feels for me, to want to measure up or to want to match up or to take Mm -hmm. cues off of other people. And it's like the self-compassion that I have to have to be like, it's so sweet that that's what you want and that you want to be feel like you're doing it right and that you want to feel like you're not too late or that you're not falling behind and also like your timeline is probably going to be different from someone else's timeline and that what if that was fine absolutely and you know i i do think there are some very real considerations not having to do with comparison so like one thing i have thought about is you know when we have kids it'll be much later than my a lot of my close girlfriends and less less around the comparison but more around just the experience like it will be a lonelier experience of going through that without people who are doing it at the same time however when i weigh that that reality against the idea of doing it way earlier so that i'm you know so that i have people who are going through it with me but if that means that doing it earlier also means that my partner isn't fully on board or that my partner feels rushed or my partner feels like their needs weren't uh, honored in this very big life decision. To me, that's not a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Like if it means that we have to wait and I have to freeze my eggs or we have to do, like I will do that because that's just, you have to know your own values. And my value is that Jason and I are a team and everything else falls away. And the most important thing is that as a team, we're both entering into that phase on equal footing, both feeling heard and honored in that decision that we're making. So if I got to just, you know, be pregnant by myself, I'll be pregnant by myself. Well, I I guarantee you statistically, there will be other people pregnant at the time that you're (laughs) pregnant. And I volunteer to be your matchmaker friend (laughs) that we will find you. We will find you some other pregnant people (gasps) to be friends with at that time. What um, what a relief. Wow. What a relief. Oh, my God. There you go. Um, other people who are potentially going to be pregnant in the future, feel free to reach out to Caroline. Um, I don't know that I've ever asked you this before, and it's fine if you don't want to talk about it or don't feel like you have you know an answer that you want to share. Why do you want kids? And I ask that as someone who very much mm-hmm. doesn't, but I don't know that you and I have ever like talked about that in depth before. Yeah. You know, I've thought about this. I don't know if this answer is going to make sense because I haven't tried to articulate it at all. Uh, But the the thing that comes to mind first is as someone who is just so deeply in love with the human experience, you know, I've talked about my – I just love feelings. I love being human. It's hard sometimes, but I just – I love digging deeper and deeper and deeper into this wild existential thing that we're all doing And as someone who loves that experience and everything in and around it, I can't imagine depriving myself of an experience that would allow me to meet this this person who is a 
part of me and yet they're completely their own spirit and soul. And so it's just an experience of bringing life into the world sounds weird, but I guess that's part of it. Part of it is also feeling like all of these lessons and and things that I've picked up along the way, I want to help guide someone using all of that wisdom. I think I think the idea of parenting makes me excited. And also, as cheesy as it sounds, the idea of meeting a person who is part me and part my partner is really exciting to me. Mm. Yeah, I just love that. So that's a really sweet answer. Not mind. that there's like such a thing as a good or a bad answer or a right no, or wrong yeah. answer to that question, but that's a really sweet answer. Well, thanks. It's. I mean, I'm sure there's a, like a million more reasons, but yeah, I I have thought about it and. Again, I don't know if that made any sense, but it's just what came to mind. No, it, it made so much sense. I, I also think that this is a topic that's so deep and so emotional and has so much like cultural and familial layering to it and expectations that it really can be hard to parse out what your actual answer is or yeah. even to put it into words. Because I've obviously been asked sort of the reverse of that question by other people is yeah. why don't you want kids? And I feel like it's like I can come up with uh, understandable and logical sounding reasons that are all true, but I feel like the truest reason is just because I don't want to. And exactly, you know, going back to the beginning of the conversation of like, you know, we've been raised as like female fart swallowers. You know, <laughs> <just> like, <laughs> there also is something of like, I was, and I don't want to say I was raised this way, like I was taught this, but there was definitely like implicit messaging that because I want to or because I don't want to is not enough of a reason. Like that's not a full sentence. I had to have justifications. Other people had to be pleased with it. It had to sort of like meet the status quo. And so the fact that for me, I do not want to, that feels like a really powerful reason. And I I almost feel like the reverse is true for you. Like this is something that you want. That's reason enough. And I don't know, there's like something in that that feels powerful to me. Absolutely. And I I definitely am not one of those people that believes that like our purpose on this earth is to bring children into the world. I don't Mm -hmm. believe that. Um, I believe that there is potential everywhere. And I believe that uh, you honoring your desire not to have children is equally as beautiful as someone choosing to bring a person into the world. That's, that's you honoring your person-ness, right? And I think that that's really wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. So pivoting a little bit, earlier this week, you emailed me a question or rather a topic for us to chat about that I loved. You said, Mm. how do you ask for what you need when you're not getting it from the other person without trying to change them or make them feel like not enough? Which, first of all, is such a good question. I'm going to read it again. How do you ask for what you need when you're not getting it from the other person without trying to change them or make them feel like not enough? Tell me why you wanted to talk about that. <laughs> oh my God. Do we have another hour? <laughs> I know, right? Like this is... Or rather, maybe it's easier to start like where in your own relationship does that question come does from? Does that show up? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the the whole thing, probably the whole <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but to go back to like a, a, an easy way to lead into it because of the context we've already set forth in this conversation. So let's, you know, rewind back to the beginning of our relationship and I and this emotional person who wants to talk about feelings and wants to feel affection. And Jason is this person who that does not come naturally to him. He does not want to talk about feelings. He doesn't, he doesn't love showing affection. And so I found it really hard to, and by the way, this hasn't gotten easier 11 years later. How do I 
witness in myself the recognition that I am not getting something that I feel like I need, which is let's just call it affection and emotional intimacy. Let's just call it that. I'm not getting that. How do I bring that up with my partner and say, I'm not getting this without, this is the empathetic part of my brain, without making them feel like there's something wrong with them for not being able to provide emotional intimacy or affection. And so that, that to me is the absolute hardest part of a relationship. How do you ask somebody to meet you in the middle when you don't want to change somebody, but the inherent, uh, you know, being in relationship with another person requires a give and take. It requires a, um, an evolution. And so what, how do you, how do you suss that out? And I think one thing that I have learned is that there's a difference between, trying to change someone's inherent personality and trying to change the way that you communicate together, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. So, so taking the emphasis off of the person or what they are lacking, or you're just not emotional and placing the emphasis more on, let's talk about the thing between us. Let's talk about, you know, what is happening in the space between you and me, not you, not me, but what is happening in the space between you and me. And in the space between you and me, you know, I'm not getting the signals. Like I know that you love me. You know, it's like the whole goes back to the love language thing. I, I understand that you love me, but I'm not getting that message. And so can we talk about that? And I think a if, you, if we can just do that, I think sometimes that's enough to diffuse the defensiveness that happens in relationships where you're like, all your shit gets triggered, right? Where you're like, well, I'm not enough and I'm not this and blah, blah, blah. So that's one thing I have learned is like, if we can shift the conversation away from you to this thing between us, and maybe it's the communication, maybe it's the behaviors, maybe it's the d- delineation of, of roles and responsibilities. Like all of those things are like, to me in the area between us and not necessarily the person. Yeah. I don't remember where I first heard this. I wish I did because massive shout out to this person. But the idea that as much as possible, I mean, and this is true in all kinds of relationships, but as much as possible, if you can make it, you and the other person versus the issue as opposed to you versus the other person, that there's like a subtle change there that can really like really shift how the conversation goes. Yeah, I I love that advice. And I think that's absolutely true. Just that team mentality instead of the we're in a boxing ring together. It's like, no, we are on a team in Family Double Dare. I don't know why that just came to mind, but we're playing together as opposed Mm -hmm. to against each other. Can you give me an example of ways that you have changed for each other? And like I put the for each other in big air quotes, Mm because I think you know what I mean. Like the meeting in the middle, like what's a need of yours that he has consciously changed or altered behavior to meet and then vice versa? Mm-hmm. That's such a great question. Well, I think a big one for me um, on my end has been the need for physical affection. So I would definitely say that I am someone who uh, one of my love languages is physical touch. Um, however, without getting too far into stuff that is, you know, Jason's stuff to share and not mine to share, uh, physical touch makes him uncomfortable for a whole host of reasons that are very understandable. And 
it wasn't until so so early on in our relationship, I just thought, oh well, he's just he just doesn't want to hold my hand. He doesn't like to, you know, be have PDA or whatever. And 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 that actually bothered me. But it wasn't until we opened up the conversation and I understood why and where that comes from that I then realized, oh, I actually want to be a safe place for my partner. I don't want to force him into displays of affection or, or moments of affection that I know are only going to make him uncomfortable. I actually want to be the opposite. I want to be a place where he can, where he feels like he, he can be totally himself and doesn't have to put on this show. And so over the years, I have asked myself, you know, what, what are some of my, what are the ways that I can have my emotional needs met that are not in that category? And I have shifted over time and, you know, it's still one of those things that I'm very aware of because we are not a very touchy feely couple, but it's like, I have this deep knowing of why that is. And I see the beauty in me changing the way that I receive love in order to create a safe place for my partner. Mm. But yeah, I thank you for sharing that. That's such a good example. Yeah. And then on his part, I mean, definitely the, just being able to talk about feelings um, is huge. And I, and I will share that early on in our relationship, kind of going back to this bigger question, probably like two or three months into our relationship, this is probably about the time that the whole, like, are you the one conversation was fucking with my brain because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing I'm not getting this like emotional side that I really need in a relationship. I'm wondering we're, we've talked about it many times. We've, we've sort of hit the stalemate a couple of times and I'm starting to wonder, I don't want to be that person in the relationship who's just nagging all the time and trying to get the other person to change. So I sort of have this realization that even though we have this unbelievable X factor thing, this magnetism between us, and even though I've left this other relationship to pursue this, I come to this conclusion that I don't want to spend my entire life begging someone to, to behave in a way that is goes against who they are. That mm-hmm. to me is not a foundation of a good relationship. So I break up with him. <laughs> <laughs> with Three Jason. Months into our, with Jason. I break yeah. up with him. I, I I have this conversation with him. I tell him, I don't want you to have to change for me. I just think I have these needs and I've really thought about it. And I think it's just our relationship is not going to meet those needs. And it's it's not, it's nothing to do with you. It's just that I don't know, I don't know where to go from here, kind of thing. And that was a really big decision. And about two days go by. And Jason calls me and he's like, you know, and this is very out of character for especially who he was at that time. He's like, I haven't eaten for two days. Haven't been able to sleep. He's like, I've really thought about this a really long time. And I've decided that I know that you don't want to change me, but I want to change for you. Like Mm -hmm. I want to change for our relationship. This is something that I know about myself that I want to get better at. And so if you could just be patient with me, I think this is a change that I can make. And I think it was such a crucial thing that had to happen in our relationship because first of all, like, I, again, I don't believe in like manipulating or doing tests like that, but it inadvertently, it demonstrated to me a willingness on his part to, to evolve. It demonstrated a, hu- a humility and like a, a humbleness and a self-awareness that I honestly didn't know was there until that moment. And over the course of 11 years, he has continued to come to conversations with that level of like, this is so deeply uncomfortable for me. 
and it's not in my nature, but I'm here to have these conversations with you because I care that much about you and I care about our relationship. And that just spoke such volumes to me. So that is an area that he's been willing to evolve for the relationship without feeling like I'm making him into a different person. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oof, so good. There's so much good stuff in here. And he's gotten so much better at it. I feel so proud of him. (laughs) Oh my God. Gold stars for Jason. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is going to resonate with you, so feel free to reject this if um, I'm projecting onto you. Um, But a way in which that I have a sense that you and I are similar, I guess, like, so I will talk about my experience and then ask you kind of what your perspective is because I I have a feeling that we're similar. Something that I have struggled with is feeling like the needier person in a partnership. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, especially in terms of like, like physical situational needs, right? That it's like, Jent is a much better sleeper than me. Um, Like I need it to be, you know, this, it needs to be dark. This needs to happen. I don't want there to be music on during the day. Like I just have like so many, I'm much more of a delicate flower, right? I feel like than he is, whether that's like in regard to my anxiety or just my preferences or whatever. And I tend to experience, I would say like, I don't know, a wider range, not a wider range of emotions. I don't even really know what that means. But I just feel like I'm the needier person. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I can carry a lot of guilt about that because just because my needs might be more acute or extreme than his doesn't mean that he doesn't have preferences. And I feel like sometimes my needs eclipse his. And I don't know, my sense is that that is also true in your relationship. And if so, help. A hundred percent. Yes. Spot on. And yeah, this is something I really struggle with personally because uh, I'm a highly sensitive person. I'm also someone who struggles with anxiety and these, you know, a delicate flower, if you will, these needs that I have, they have very real consequences in the way that I'm able to show up and be fully resourced as a person who can just even, you know, give to our relationship. However, that puts this like this this responsibility on him sometimes to yeah, minimize his own needs or or I mean granted, I, I check in with him often and he sometimes has trouble like diagnosing his own needs, which really is lucky for me because it's not like he's suppressing them. He's just like not having them, which I tell him all the time is I'm like, I think that's probably something to explore in therapy one day yourself. Um but I will say a couple things that have helped me. Number one, with the guilt. I have learned the hard way over many years that uh, dampening or suppressing or minimizing my needs that I do have does not make them go away. It makes the consequences much worse. So, and and actually Jason has, you know, then been the, the unfortunate bearer of those consequences as well. See 2019, me going through a full-on anxiety crisis not being able to work for six months, like really having to rebuild my mental health from the ground up. So we both have now experienced the deep consequences of me not checking in with my needs and saying, I'm reaching my my point here, my breaking point here. So having sort of a low point to point to, to say like, it, it is a good thing that I'm voicing these things helps me minimize the guilt because I'm going, well, I'm, I'm actually, by saying this out loud, uh, I'm actually am participating in a positive way in our relationship because I'm protecting the team, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And another mental shift that I had to make too was that 
when I, as the sensitive person, as the delicate flower who does need a lot of, you know, a lot of the household duties can sometimes fall by the wayside. Jason picks up a lot of slack just in the household department. Like he cooks a lot of the meals. He runs the household. Like I said, he keeps the trains moving on time, all of that stuff. He's, he's very much like the caretaker in our relationship. And that can get exhausting. I know. And that can start to weigh on me to feel like, oh, you know, he's just taking care of me. However, and I can start to feel like, oh, well, what am I contributing really? You know, if he, if there's all this like very visible stuff that he's contributing to our household and relationship, and it can start to feel unbalanced on the surface. But something that I've worked through in therapy and that I've worked through within myself is to see the value in emotional labor, to see the value in emotional uh, capital, you know, like the thing that I, the invisible work that gets brought to our relationship yeah. is the, is the glue that I, that I bring for all of these years of having these conversations of checking in, of going to therapy of, you know, all of that stuff. And so I have to learn to see the value in that, even though the price I pay for that sometimes is needing to recharge my batteries and needing more physical, uh, environmental help and support, but I think the first step to minimizing the guilt is seeing that stuff as valuable the same way that, you know, taking out the trash is valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point. Thank you. Yes, I knew yeah. you'd have good perspective. <laughs> <laughs> so in addition to being your husband, Jason is your business partner, which I think mm-hmm. is very interesting. I have many questions about this. I don't know that we will <laughs> even get to the ball. But the first question I think about this a lot when I'm listening to the podcast that the two of you have together, that like for better or worse, you have somewhat of a public marriage and your marriage is part of your brand. It like feels icky to me to say that. Like, because yeah. I, I, like, bleh. but bleh. it's true. And it's tr- totally I'm, true. I'm, I'm curious what that feels like that that's true. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a really great question. I know I've said that a lot of times, but you're very good at this. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, friend. <laughs> Uh, you just ask really good questions. I've never, is it weird to say I've never really thought about it? And I'll tell you why. Because I think one crucial bit is before we decided to combine businesses together. Okay, so we've we've worked together in some capacity since 2012. Um, but that was when Jason had this business called I Wear Your Shirt. It was it was basically like an influencer business before that was even a word. Um, and so he would wear companies logos, t- um, on his t-shirt and he would make online content e- each day of the year and put it online. And so in 2012, I quit my advertising job to go work for his company. Um, mainly because I was jealous that I had to get up and go commute an hour to go work at like an office. And he got to like make videos where he dressed up like a, like a lion and posted on YouTube every day. And I was like, mm, <laughs> can I do that? <laughs> And, uh, so I convinced him to hire me so I could run some of the operations. And so we've worked together in some capacity since 2012, but in 2014, that business became clear that it was just not financially sustainable and he was really burnt out on doing it. And so I had this choice of, do I go back to, uh, you know, some type of corporate job or do I try to take what I've learned the past two years of, you know, working pretty much for myself and do it on my own. And so from 2014 until we combined businesses in 2018, I had my own thing. So this is where I really cultivated. Well, I started out as a designer. Then I really moved into becoming a visual artist and a writer. 
And so I created my own brand um, called Made Vibrant over the course of those four years. And I think that was so crucial because now that we, our main business, actually we have two businesses, but our main business is called Wandering Aimfully. It's a, a coaching program for intentional online business owners. And we run that together. We, we decided to basically turn my Made Vibrant brand and his personal brand into one, into Wandering Aimfully in 2018. But now that we've done that, and now that you say that our, you know, our marriage is a very key part of that <laughs> business, I, I don't have this fear around that because I could always do my own thing, you know, like even, and we've said this from the beginning because he, it took a lot of convincing for me to kind of roll Made Vibrant into Wandering Aimfully. And he said, it is always going to be on the table that we can stop this and we can go back to doing our own thing. That is always on the table. And so because that option has always existed, I I don't have this fear around, you know, oh, it all relies on that or what happens if our marriage is rocky or whatever. Like, And I think that just comes from also living so, I hate this, this buzzword because of what it's become, but I do tend to live my life online pretty authentically. And if it fell apart, I would tell people it fell apart. And I just don't have a lot of fear around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, that's that's relatable to me too. Do you guys have uh, – maybe checklist is like too clinical, but like a checklist of things that you're like, we're not going to talk about this stuff publicly? Like what do boundaries look like around sharing when it comes to work stuff versus marriage? I mean, I think in general – it's not like topics that are off limits, but it's very much, I like to share from a place. I don't like to share from a place when it's super raw. Mm -hmm. I think that's just a a way to protect my own processing and not get too many inputs when I'm really in the thick of something. Oh, I I know actually a great example that comes to mind is family stuff. So, um, you know, where other people are involved, like we've, we've gone through quite a bit of tumultuous things with family, our families of origin, I'll say, because we're a family, but also the families that we come from this year. And I've wanted to share about that because I, inside of our coaching program, we're very, very, very transparent. That's why I'm struggling to find things that are off limits because we share with them in real time because I think that's part of the value of being in that community is people who are not trying to pretend like they have it all together, but showing you like, you know, we deal with hard life stuff and, and trying to run a business at the same time. But I had to have a conversation with Jason about, I don't feel comfortable fully divulging this scenario and situation to our members because other people are involved. Mm -hmm. And so we still shared with them sort of in vague terms because I think everyone can relate to what happens when, you know, you realize that certain members of your family are actually creating harm for you in your life and how, and it's very painful to go through a transition of trying to change your your relationship to that. And so I wanted to share that aspect of it without sharing details. So that's something that we, we stick pretty close to the, to the vest, but everything else we're, we're definitely an open book. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty much the same way. How on a more day-to-day basis, do you not let work or work conversations seep into every single part of the day together? Ooh, I mean, it's always been this way. Work is always going to seep into every part of our day because we love it truly. So, you know, I think there was a time where we sort of felt guilty about that because there was a lot of this stuff about like separating work and life. And we very much subscribe more to this philosophy of work-life blend. Like it just is always going to blur the lines for us. And that's not a bad thing when you enjoy your work. But I will say that the more 
that we get clear about the amount of hours that we're willing to work on the business, the more we have a little bit of a clearer delineation. So, you know, we try to wrap up work around, I mean, really when it gets dark is when we just kind of try to shut down. So depending on the time of year is when that happens. And this time of year, it's like, and 4 p.m. I'm done. But um, after that, conversation does tend to steer pretty clear of work stuff and kind of a little bit more about, hey, I stumbled across this today or, you know, we'll watch a movie and have a conversation about that. Or, But we're just chatting about, I mean, if we're being honest, we're chatting about work all the time and it's because we love it. Mm-hmm. I, and I sort of assumed that that was the case and I'm very similar to that. But I don't know. I've been thinking a lot lately about the fact just because I love my work, which I do, and like the blessing of having made this weird job for myself where pretty much all or a lot of my interests and curiosities can get rolled under this umbrella. I also think that there's a downside there that there's a tendency to try to like roll too many things under the umbrella. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, like just because I love something doesn't mean that I don't need breaks from it or that I don't benefit from like taking breaks from it. And I have found that when I have made it a you know, I'm really not going to talk about work today or, you know, just having some of those harder boundaries around it, which have been very, very difficult for me to implement for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned, that it's been really beneficial. And I imagine, and again, I'm projecting, I imagine that that would be a big struggle if my partner was also my business partner. Oh, yeah. I I mean, I will say there are definitely times where that hard boundary is set. Uh, and it's, and and it's just about vocalizing it. It's just about saying like, for example, literally after our conversation, I think I told you before we started recording, I'm on like a day and a half full blackout, like a full, you, I no work. I, I do not want any responsibilities. I do not want any pressure put on me. And that's just, again, going back to those needs. Like I know that I need a hard reset and all it takes is, is truly about a day and a half for me, but it's just, I need that full sinking into no responsibility. So Jason will know, like, don't bring stuff to me, you know, about that. And and I'm just very clear about communicating that to me. And same with him. Like he really, not to be total cliche, but he really likes his one time is Sundays watching football. That's where he shuts off. And so it's sort of like, don't bring to me, you know, things about Monday. Don't bring to me like, and I, a lot of times if I'm writing, for example, the newsletter that goes out the following Monday, I try to get that to him by Friday so that he's not trying to format it on Sunday to go – because he's the one that does that to because I know that that football time is kind of sacred to him in, in shutting his brain off. So mm-hmm. um, I'm glad you mentioned that aside because I was thinking of it more on like a day-to-day basis, but we definitely have on a more week-to-week basis, we have those times where we're like, nope, this is sacred for me or I need this. So this is what I need. The benefit that I have found from an actual full break, you know, when you said it takes you about a day or a day and a half, actual rest for a day and a half is so much more nourishing for me than like partial or fake rest for like two weeks. Like, and that's that, that has really helped me. I mean, this has nothing to do with marriage or relationships, but you know, work stuff. It has really helped me to have some more of those boundaries. Like, even if it would be fun to keep working, or I, I've had a lot of success taking like full 
like blackout periods from Instagram, for example, where it's just like, mm-hmm. I feel like I need to delete this for a couple weeks. And like, I have tried in the past where it's like, well, I say I'm not really going to post, but I'm still checking in or like, it's not on my phone, but I'm still looking on the browser. And as opposed to, I am logged out of everything. I'm not even going to mm-hmm. peek. I'm not even going to look. If I like need some information off Instagram, I'm going to ask Jen to get it for me. Like that's so much more nourishing, like taking actual mm-hmm. breaks. Um, so yeah, very much plus one. Yeah. It's like the difference between minimizing a program on your computer versus quitting the app. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like I like I don't need it. I don't need it minimized. I don't need it running in the background. I need it full on command Q. It is it is there is no dot on my dock. I, I use a Mac. It is done. You know, like and it, it really is a difference in mindset. So and 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 it's just about communicating to your partner to bring it back to the relationship aspect. Are we in a minimized place or are we in a full quit the app place? And what's the yeah. difference between those? Totally. So last thing about this, any like pieces of advice for anyone who's thinking about going into business in any capacity with their partner or like anything that you wish you would have known at the beginning? Mm, I think the two pieces of advice, number one is always going to be over communicate. That's you've probably noticed that this is a theme. I mean, granted, I'm a communicator by nature, so that's that's the way that I come at everything. But especially when it comes to business, we check in often. We check in pretty much daily. What is the other person working on? Not in a micromanaging capacity, but very much in a making sure that you know how the other person is spending their time so that you know that they are equally committed to this. So what can happen sometimes is if we go like a week without checking in, I have no idea what he's, I'm like, what have you been doing even, <laughs> you know, cause you're so focused on what you're doing and what you're working on that it can be very easy to overlook what the other person has been spending their hard hours on. So it's just always being really clear about, Oh, wow. So you can support them. You can, you know, um, appreciate their hard work. I think a lot in relationships is just about appreciation. Like, thank you for working really hard on that. So the daily check-ins are key and just communicating a lot. And I think also about having conversations early on about where each of you thinks your strengths lie and being really clear in like celebrating the other person for the strengths that they bring and being really honest and humble about your own weak spots. I mean, that's just good advice for like working within a team completely. But I think especially with your partner, weaknesses can sometimes be triggers. Um, strengths can sometimes, you know, be an ego thing. So just tiptoe, not tiptoeing, but being delicate with those conversations and being honest in those conversations can save a lot of heartache down the road. Mm-hmm. Great advice. I appreciate that. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you really wanted to mention or dig into or ask or share anything? I don't think so. I just think relationships are really fascinating. And I think, I think it all comes down to just honoring the unique relationship that, that you have and honoring the unique person that you are and really trying as much as possible to separate the noise of what you think a relationship should be from the signal of what you desire, what you want out of your life, what you want out of your partnerships and recognizing that the possibilities for that are truly endless. Like if you have the creativity and the self-awareness to truly build it in your own way from the ground up, I think that is what leads to a positive and happy relationship because it's built on what you really want and not what you think you should want. Mm 
Mm, yeah. Sometimes I have to remind myself that like all of this is made up or we're just making all of this up. Yes. And it's like, if you want your relationship to look like this, okay, great. If you want it to look like this, okay, great. And that, I don't know, we like think there's all these rules to follow and there really are not. There, there are not. That's why it's so funny when I think back of, you know, the whole marriage thing. I'm like, well, we could, if I really wanted to use the word husband and wife, did I really need to stand on a cliff and sign a piece of paper? I did not. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I remember this came up with another guest in this podcast series about, well, if you want to wear rings, even if you're not married as like an outward symbol, you can. And I was like, what? Oh, yeah. What do you mean? Like, yeah. It's just so funny that like, even I consider myself someone who, you know, when you, the spectrum you described where Jason's like, question everything, right? Rebel against everything. I don't know that I'm to that extreme, but I'm definitely closer to that end of the spectrum. And yet there's still these things that I get caught on where I'm like, what do you mean that you could wear rings even if you weren't married? Like, it's just like so funny. The ring police will get us. They definitely will. Oh my God. Um, Well, I think that's a really good place to start to wrap up. I was going to ask you if you could leave people with an affirmation of sorts based on the conversation, what that would be like a wish for everyone listening. But I feel like what you Mm. just said was exactly that. (laughs) Yeah, with probably too many words. But yeah, you know, you could pluck out whatever words from that (laughs) that is more succinct and that is what I wish for you. Yes, yes. What is the best place for people to find you and come say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? Are you open to people saying hi? What's what's Mm. the best way? We're definitely taking a step back from social media. However, your best chance of saying hi is definitely my personal Instagram, which is at ckelso. And so you can find me there and I'm hoping to post art in the new year more there, but we will see if that happens. Uh, we'll leave it open-ended there. And then if you are interested in, in more of what Jason and I do together, you can go over to at wandering aimfully on Instagram or wanderingaimfully.com. And like I said, we're taking a bit of an Instagram break, but you can check out our, our old stuff. It's good too. Awesome. I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Could not more sincerely and more highly recommend your and Jason's podcast. I love it very much. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was so lovely. I could have chatted with you for another hour, obviously, but we'll keep it to this. Yes. Thanks so much for listening to this very first season of the pop-up pod. All of the intimate and honest conversations you'll hear on this show are 100% listener-funded, paid for by my sliding-scale Patreon community. That means no ads and no sponsors, just a couple hundred people coming together to ensure that everyone involved in making this podcast gets paid. That includes me as the host and creator, my sound engineer and musician, Adam Day, as well as every single one of our guests. The Patreon community also funds the creation of a full transcript for each episode, which you can find in the show notes to help make these conversations more accessible for all. Those are our production ethics here at the Pop-Up Pod. And if that aligns with your own values, I would love to invite you to come check out our community at patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. It's a fun, easy, and welcoming space. You also get access to lots of bonuses. And remember, it's run on a sliding scale, so you can pay whatever amount makes most sense for you each month, depending on your circumstances. That's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And hopefully, I'll see you there.